Well, good morning, Edgewood. I want to thank you for being here today, and I want to thank you for all the love and support, encouragement uh, for myself and Jason Crosby and Justin Rumley at our ordination service a couple weeks ago. So we really appreciate that a lot. You had the opportunity to hear Jason Crosby speak last week, and today you have to listen to me. So um, I hope you will enjoy this message. But before we get into that today, we do want to take a few moments to pray for the things going on around in our world, Um, especially in Afghanistan. I know you've seen all the news and everything happening there. And at a time like this, we feel, what can we do? Um, How can we help? And we feel helpless. And uh, one of the things we know we can do as believers is to pray. So we want to pray uh, for those seeking asylum. We want to pray for those trying to get out of the country, even Americans that are still there. We want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ there. We want to pray for leadership in our country and other countries that we can work together and figure out what to do to help there. We also want to pray for um, those who have been affected by the earthquake in Haiti. Uh, there's a hurricane hit up the East Coast right now. There are so many things that we need to pray for in our world right now. So let's take a few moments uh, to do that. God, we humbly come before you today, and we thank you, Lord, that we are able to meet together in freedom and to worship you. But Lord, so many around the world do not have that same opportunity. God, so we pray that you would be with those who are hurting and feel helpless right now and are being persecuted. God, we pray you'd be with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are seeking asylum or they're seeking to just uh, be safe where they are and to remain faithful to you. Um, God, there's so much happening right now. There's so much confusion and knowing People are pointing fingers who to blame. It's such a difficult time, Lord. So we just ask for your um, will to be done, Lord. We ask that you intervene and you would get as many people out of Afghanistan as possible. We pray that you would be with leadership in our country and around the world, Lord, that they will work together. We would figure out how to help but also stomp out evil, God. God, we pray that you would be with those who have been affected by the earthquakes, In Haiti, many have lost their lives. Lord, we pray that you would be with those who are seeking to help and Christian groups I know that will be down there helping. Lord, I pray that they will be able to provide for the physical and also spiritual needs of those looking for uh, help in this situation. God, I pray that you'd be with those that are bracing for a hurricane on the East Coast. God, that you would perhaps veer it a different direction or it won't be as bad as many are expecting. God, we pray that you would just bring safety in these situations. God, we are called to bring everything to you in prayer, little things and big things, and there are a lot of big things happening in the world right now. So Lord, we humbly ask you, God, that you would um, intervene, that you would be at work behind the scenes even when we can't see it. We ask that you would bring people to faith in you through all of these difficult situations. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, speaking of other countries and cultures, I've had the opportunity the last several years to be working on my advanced degree and studying other cultures through Columbia International University. And I've actually been able to spend a lot of time going to other countries like in Central America, some in Europe, the Middle East, East Asia. And when you have an opportunity to go to different parts of the world, you really get a glimpse of how good we really do have it here. And even as hard as it has been 
over the last year and a half, uh, the problems around the world have been accentuated. They've been become a lot worse because of the pandemic and other political unrest happening around the world. I was just in Belize a few weeks ago uh, doing some ministry down there, and the COVID protocol they have there is very difficult on the people who live there. They have mask mandates in the whole country, and if you're caught with out wearing a mask in the street, you'll be ticketed $500. They even said that if you have a gathering at your home and someone gets COVID and it spreads, that they could charge you up to $1,500. That would completely bankrupt people down there. They do not have much money. In the church that we ministered at while we were there, uh, the pastor said that police officers will actually come to make sure that they don't have more than the allotted number of people that they're supposed to have there. So, you know, we have issues here. We have things that we're dealing with, but in other countries, it is far worse. In Mexico, where uh, Emma Janicek spent some time in La Paz, you know, she saw that firsthand with the COVID protocol and not being able to minister in all the ways that she was hoping to, but still found ways to do that. But even the children were not allowed to come to the, the church and the services and the things that they had for them. They had to stay home a lot of the time. I think of many missionaries that we have in East Asia and India and uh, the lockdowns that they've had there for months on end. I think right now there's not currently a lockdown, but for a while there they did. And if people were caught outside their homes doing anything other than business, that they would be chased away by the police or even beaten by police officers. I mean, it's a different world out there, and we are truly blessed. So it's by God's grace that you and I were born in a free country or you somehow ended up here But even thinking about all the blessings that we have, this is still not our home. This earth is not our eternal home. The earthly kingdoms of this world, they're broken. The history of the world is wrought with wars and bloodshed and oppression and violence. So our main point for today is this. Earthly kingdoms are temporary, but God's kingdom is eternal. So people today, though, are so focused on the temporal we ask like questions like this when it comes to the American dream. How, um, <clears throat> how can I make it to the top? How can I follow my dreams? How can I be great? We try to fill our lives with so many different things in order to be happy, but this temporal world was never meant to do that. And then we settle for so very little in order to give our lives meaning and purpose. And then we base our happiness on things like how many social media post likes that we get, or if someone let us down, or if my favorite show gets canceled, or if my favorite team wins or loses. And for Bears fan the last few years, that's been a tough season, right? Sorry about that. But all joking aside, I mean, our desires in this day and age, they're so misguided, not just with people out there, but with people in here with us. C.S. Lewis said it well in his book, The Weight of Glory. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine a holiday, what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, the earthly kingdoms we inhabit are finite and fleeting, and so are the things that we spend the majority of our time 
doing if we're honest with ourselves. But Jesus came to flip all of that on its head. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give us life and give it to the full. And we read about this in John 18, 33 through 38, which is our text today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to work through this passage. Now in context, Jesus has just been arrested. He's been tried by the Jews and now he's sent to Pilate who is leading the Romans. So this is what happens in this conversation. But catch what happens with the words of Jesus. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or do others say this about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Then Pilate said to him, What is truth? Now we'll come back to this passage later, but we want to camp out on that question, what is truth? And what was Pilate thinking? How was he asking that question? Was it sarcastically, kind of laughing to himself? Or was he asking that rhetorically, kind of under his breath? Or was he serious about that question when he asked Jesus? So that's the question we want to pose right now. Is that, what is truth? Is there absolute truth or an objective standard of truth in the world today, or is it all just relative as so many people now believe? But we want to think more about this. What is true amongst the fake news and lies and stretching of the truth or just utter confusion of the last year and a half? I know so many of us are so confused. We have become cynical and suspicious because of how much the truth has been muddled in this day and age. So point number one that we want to focus on today is this. When the truth is hard to find, we must cling to the truths of Scripture. When truth is hard to find, we must cling to the truths of Scripture. This summer, our high school growth group has been going through the kingdom parables that Jesus teaches in Matthew and other Gospels. So I want to look at a couple of these because they're talking not only about the kingdom of God, but they're talking about how do we find truth. We looked at ones like the mustard seed and the leaven and the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value and the lost sheep and the lost coin. But Matthew 13, 31, Jesus says this. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air make its nest in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. What was Jesus talking about here? Now, parables were meant to get people to think about what the story was all about, and Jesus didn't always spell it out. Some people didn't understand. So why, though, was the kingdom compared to a mustard seed and leaven? Well, if you think about it, mustard seed is the smallest seed ever, right? And you can barely see it when it is sown and grows, it goes from minuscule to mighty. There's gradual growth that takes place, but before you know it, it's become the largest thing around. It might be hard to see at first, but then eventually it's so obvious to see. 
Isn't that how the kingdom of God works at times? Sometimes it's hard to see. It's hard to know and understand what God is doing and working behind the scenes. But eventually we do see that, that he is, in fact, at work. It was the same thing with the leaven, a little bit of leaven and flour. And by, uh, after a certain time, it leavens the whole uh, entire loaf of bread. And it's all leavened, and it's obvious that the difference that it has made. Another parable Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. People must have thought this, these men were crazy, selling everything they have just to, to get this field and this, um, these pearls, right? Why is the kingdom compared to hidden treasure and a pearl of great value? Well, it's hard to find, but it's worth obtaining at all costs. It's worth losing everything else for in order to obtain it. Think about this eternal spiritual gift that we have does not compare to the earthly things that we so desire. This also reminds me of Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. It can be difficult to find. It can be difficult to follow Jesus, the kingdom of God. This seems backwards or upside down, does it not? But remember, earthly kingdoms are temporary, but God's kingdom is eternal. Jesus speaks to this even more. In Matthew 10, 16 and Luke 17, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus saying? I mean, this almost sounds like a contradiction. Well, maybe it's more like a paradox. And a paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. And we see these statements all over Scripture, especially in the Gospels with Jesus, these upside-down kingdom references. I want to look at these very quickly Things like this in Matthew 20, the last will be first and the first will be last. Matthew 23, the greatest among you will be your servant. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. What is he getting at there from the Sermon on the Mount? It's so countercultural. It doesn't seem to make sense with the way the world works today when we think of it. His followers said this too. Also, John the Baptist, John 3, he must increase but I must decrease. We must go down in order to go up. Paul in 2 Corinthians, when I am weak, then am I strong. He said again, Philippians 1, we must die in order to truly live. And then in 1 Peter, God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. What's with all of these statements that are so paradoxical, seem to go against the grain of our culture today? But that one especially at the end, God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. I mean, think about how true that is right now. We are in need of humility among leadership in our world today, are we not? Think about the meteoric rise and fall, an epic fall of so many leaders, not just in politics and, and movie stars and sports figures, but also pastors. There's a severe lack of humility and character. One Christianity Today podcast said this, we need character over charisma today. People want to follow a charismatic leader, someone that has that commanding presence and they can see themselves following and going after. But in this day and age, character is the most needed thing. But then enter Jesus, the perfect, sinless leader, the humble servant leader. And this brings us back to the text. 
So we think about Pilate and the confusion of that conversation that he just had with Jesus. Pilate had most certainly heard of Jesus, but wanted to meet him for himself to assess if he were an actual threat. And he questions Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? What have you done? Why are they so upset with you? And Jesus said in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And the Greek word there is actually cosmos or cosmos that we know. It's not of this world. So number two, thing we want to know today is just that simple fact. The kingdom of God is not of this world. We need to remember that as believers. But Pilate here, he must have been utterly confused. He was used to squashing rebellions and keeping order, but Jesus wasn't a threat to him. So why were the Jews so upset? Surely Pilate knew about different revolts and uprisings that had taken place over the Jewish history, especially when other kingdoms were ruling over them. Surely he'd heard about the Maccabean revolt that had happened less than 200 years before when Judas Maccabeus, also known as the Hammer, uh, rose up against the Greeks that were ruling over them. And Josephus, a Jewish historian, actually writes about this in Antiquities of the Jews. And he says this, Judas Maccabeus, he led thousands of Jews to fight against the Seleucid Empire after one of their kings sacrificed a pig to Zeus in the Jewish temple. Think about how offensive that would have been to the Jews. At this point, his, he and his followers had had enough, and they fought back to take back the t- temple, cleanse it, and then Judas was actually made high priest. He killed thousands. Some believed that he was the Messiah. Of course, he died like every other man before him. But when Jews thought about the Messiah and who it, what they thought he should look like, I'm sure many had Judas Maccabeus in their minds, a fighting warrior type king. The Jewish people were looking for this kind of leadership in their Messiah and king. But you see, with Jesus, as the expositor's Bible commentary says, Pilate expected to meet a sullen or belligerent rebel and met instead the calm majesty of confident superiority. But some of Jesus' followers, they wanted to make him their earthly king. I mean, we saw this in, in John 6, after the feeding of the 5,000. Think of that miraculous happening, that miracle that took place when Jesus fed all of those people. And they saw that, like, this is the guy we want to follow. But it says this in verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. That's not why he had come, to be an earthly king. Peter, likewise, tried to fight and to save Jesus. We see this in John 18 when Jesus was arrested. What happens? Then Peter, uh, and Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? But what was Jesus doing? Why was he allowing himself to be taken captive? I mean, this still did not make sense to his followers, to the disciples. I mean, even think of Simon the Zealot, another disciple of Jesus. He most certainly had these same violent inclinations because of his background. When you think of how earthly kingdoms have been established, they've almost always been established by violence and force. That is how it works. That's not why Jesus came. Verse 37 says this, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
So number three, followers of Jesus must bear witness to the truth. We must bear witness to the truth. Since Jesus is the truth, we must be advocates for the truth. In a world drowning in lies and deception and manipulation, we must do our part to share the truth as his followers. He is bearing witness to the truth here. So yes, Jesus is the king, but his kingdom is not of this world. I mean, Jesus was talking about this early on in his ministry when he met with Nicodemus by night, a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, came to him because he was intrigued. He wanted to know more about this Jesus. But Jesus said something to him that was utterly astonishing. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was confused. How can I be born again? How could the kingdom of God be born in me? There was this mystery to it. But as we continue to read scripture, this mystery becomes more understanding. We're able to see it more fully. So what do we mean by the kingdom of God when we say that? The book of Matthew talks a lot about the kingdom of God. But I would say the kingdom of God is this. It's God's realm of rule in heaven and on earth. Jesus talked about it often. Matthew 6 Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So basically Jesus is praying to the Father saying, bring heaven to earth. May those things that happen there happen here. May your will be done in that. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I mean, Jesus is literally talking to followers and disciples saying, don't worry about your provisions. Don't worry about... Uh, shelter and food and clothing, you seek the kingdom of God first and I'll take care of those other things. How would you like to hear Jesus share that message with you when you didn't really have much to begin with? Richard J. Foster says it well when he says this, the person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek it at all, regardless of how worthy the idolatry that he or she has substituted for it. We must seek kingdom first. Luke 9, a few more verses It's not easy to seek the kingdom of God first, as Jesus was talking to someone. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There were literally people that wanted to follow Jesus or thought they did, that Jesus saw their hearts and knew that they wouldn't be able to handle it because it would be a difficult road. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out his disciples, right? Before he does that, he says this to them. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. He said something similar to the Pharisees in Luke 17. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Right there. The kingdom of God is not just something in the future. The kingdom of God is here now in some ways. Daniel writes about this being an eternal kingdom. The writer of Hebrews talks about this as a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So hear me when I say this. When we worship, when we fellowship, when we make disciples, when we live on mission, We're literally bringing heaven to earth, aren't we? Now, speaking of bringing heaven to earth, making disciples, living on mission, we want to take a few minutes here to hear from Emma Janicek. So I'm going to ask Emma to come up. As I shared earlier, Emma spent her summer in La Paz, Mexico. 
And uh, oh, yeah, let's give her a hand. And uh, she's part of our young adults ministry, but has grown up here at Edgewood. But uh, many of you supported her. We supported her through the church as well. But we want to hear about what God did uh, down there and how God used her. So we just want to take a few minutes. So Emma, if you want to start by just sharing a little bit about yourself, and then what are some of the things that you did down in Mexico this summer? Yeah, so I'm Emma Janicek. I am a student at St. Ambrose, and I'm a member here. Um, this summer, I spent two months in La Paz, and I worked with um, Transformados, which is a neighborhood basketball program um, type of small ministry. And um, in this ministry, we have um, like basketball practices, and we have basketball clubs, and we do youth group nights. Um, we also have like one-on-one discipleship, which I really appreciate. Um, and then there's also small groups that we do pretty frequently. Um, I went down there with the intention of getting to know how to better communicate in Spanish and understand Spanish. Um, I also was hoping to um, just serve the long-term missionaries that are down there. Um, And then I also wanted to get to know the students and um, the people of La Paz and the culture there and how it differs from here. Um, So I was able to do that this summer. Um, There was some COVID regulations that changed while I was there and um, that were fluctuating throughout my stay. Um, But I was still able to um, do a lot with the practices that we did when we had them. Um, I was able to um, participate with um, VBS in a bag that we did, which we sent to the students who were younger than 12 and their families. So we were able to get truth into their homes, um, even though we couldn't see anybody younger than 12 for the summer. Um, We also we're able to just um, hang out with the students with like one-on-one um, um, just fun activities and like baking and um, board games and just activities like that. Great. So how, what are some ways though, Emma, that um, God stretched you and used you and grew you from this experience? Because there's obviously lots of ups and downs there. Mm-hmm. So what are some things personally that God did in your life? Yeah. Um, God works a lot. And uh, throughout the summer, I think that he used a lot of um, just his word and also the believers in my life. Um, and also just the new experiences putting me in an environment that I hadn't been before. Um, it was cool to see, um, I think first and like foremost, like he really revealed to me that like I can only find my fulfillment in him. Um, it's easy to like see the role of a missionary and Um, imagine it as like higher than all else. And like these people are like following the Lord and like they're always fulfilled in what they do. Um, But in reality, they're not fulfilled in what they do. We can do all of the good that we want to and it still won't fulfill us. Um, It's only a relationship with Jesus Christ that's going to fulfill us. Um, So that was just a really cool realization that I can be doing mission work um, and I won't be fulfilled if I'm not placing my heart in Jesus's hands. Um, another thing that um, was really evident was that God can work through me um, even when I'm afraid. Um, I found it sometimes very scary to be trying to speak Spanish in front of um, very good sp- Spanish speakers. Um, they were very gracious all of the time, but um, I, sometimes I felt my fear like holding me back a little bit from sharing or um, just being present with them because I felt like I was an outsider at times. Um, but it was cool to see that like the Lord, he is truly with me. And um, even when I feel fearful, I can know that he is working and he is working through my shortcomings and he is working even though I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So that was really encouraging. Um, I also found it to be encouraging. Um, I was reading through Romans 12, 9 through 21 a lot because there were times that I didn't have many responsibilities to do. 
um, because of COVID and shutdowns and things like that. So um, Romans 12, 9 through 21 is like active steps that I can be taking just to be following the Lord in my everyday life. And so I found that while I was there and um, in a different situation and every day was like a little bit different, um, I could really just like be following the Lord exactly how he tells me to obey in his word. Um, So like letting love be genuine and practicing hospitality and meeting the needs of the saints. Um, So it was just really cool to be able to um, just see the word and know that like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing or how to do it, but I can follow the steps that the Lord's obey, like asked me to obey. So, Yeah, it was cool to see too, you know, because you had some downtime, right? And so you found ways um, to fill that. And so Emma was sharing that at one point, she, over the course of a couple of days, she baked 500 cookies to put those together and, and send those off to people in bags. And so finding ways to be hospitable and to serve like Jesus, I mean, I think is pretty incredible. Um, Emma, could you share with us maybe one story uh, from the summer that, that really stood out to you and that, that meant a lot to you? Yeah. Um, I really liked just getting to know the students. They were students from, like, the age of 12 to the age of, like, 24. Um, so we would just hang out a lot. Um, there was one high school student, and he um, was practicing his English, and I was practicing my Spanish, obviously. Um, so I would ask him in Spanish, like, oh, what did you do today? Que stay hoy? And then he would ask me, like, what did you do today in English? Um, but it was just a cool experience because every day that I would see him, we would ask each other these questions. Um, and one of the first times that I was there, um, I, like, explained to him everything that I did in the day. And um, he was, like, at the, end of the, at the end of my explanation, he was like, well, did you read your Bible today? And I was like, well, I did. That was a good question. I did. But it was so encouraging to me that he's asking me this question, that he knows that he needs to find his truth in his word, and that the word of God is his truth that he should be, like, get, digging into each day. And that was so encouraging to me because he hasn't had – um, Christian influence throughout his life. Um, he only has known the missionaries and um, the church that he's gotten to be able to plug, be plugged into um, since he's met the missionaries. Um, but just seeing that he knows where the truth is found, um, the purpose of missions is to like pull out and let them be like with the Lord and serving the Lord and let the Holy Spirit work. Um, so if those missionaries ever do leave or anything like that, it's just so encouraging to know that he knows that the truth is found in the word and that he will continue to be doing that, like no matter if we're there or not. All right. Thank you, Emma. Let's give Emma a hand. Just hearing from Emma and everything we've talked about today, we're just continuing to be reminded of this. Earthly kingdoms are temporary, but God's kingdom is eternal. And here's the thing, as we start to wrap things up today, for many people today, what's going on in the world is their sole focus, unfortunately. Even many people in the church are caught up in fear of the virus or in fear of our freedoms being taken away, that we have lost sight of the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. We can take the pandemic seriously while not living in fear, and we can fight for our rights and freedoms while still loving our neighbors. It doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and, I believe. So our fourth and final point is this. It doesn't matter how bad things get. We are still called to faithfulness. We are still called to faithfulness. And we think we have it bad here with everything that's been going on. But there are literally Afghani Christians who will lose their lives this week for their faith in Jesus. We need to let that sink in. 
next time we're feeling sorry for ourselves. So how do we apply all of this? What are some action steps for this message today? As Christians, we are called to bear witness to the truth. Yes, the truths of Scripture and sharing the gospel. We are also called to tell the truth in general. We're supposed to be advocates for the truth. So this first action step, I want you to see closely what I'm saying here. Don't confuse opinions and personal convictions with biblical convictions and absolute truth. What do I mean by that? Ever since 2020... Christians have been spewing their opinions like they are biblical truth, and these things ought not to be so. Whether we want to believe it or not, our consciences are in fact affected by our culture, the voices we let in, the information that we let in. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit of God, but we still need to discern. And working with God's word, we need to know what we believe and understand the truth before we just share that with someone else. We need to understand what the truth is and be discerning. Now, if this is sounding vague at all, I want us to consider these types of questions, the questions that we're all asking right now in this day and age. What do we do about masks? What do we do about vaccines? What do we do about who to vote for? The list goes on and on and on. There's so many questions for us today. Now, I obviously have personal convictions and opinions about those things, and you can always talk to me about those later. But I know you do too. You've thought through those as well right? But there's much going on in our culture today where we must apply Romans 14 to secondary issues while loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And those are the issues in Romans 14 that Paul was talking about where we have disagreements about certain things, what's right and wrong, and we need to love our brothers and sisters through those things. And at times we need to put them first. Sacrificial love for brothers and sisters comes before our own comforts and preferences. And if you don't agree with that, that's okay, But I would encourage you to read Romans 14 and read Ephesians 5 and read Philippians Philippians 2 on how to love our brothers and sisters and neighbors. And then let's sit and have a conversation about it. Let's talk about what that might look like. At the same time, we must speak out on issues that Scripture is very clear on. But part of our job is to be discerning to know and understand the difference. So that's number one. Number two, Because the kingdom of God is not of this world, our main focus should not be earthly things. Now these first two steps, or maybe they're more just shifts in the way that we think, perhaps. But if it is in fact true, as God's word says, that every person who has ever lived will exist for eternity with God or apart from him, then we must share the news with everyone around us. No, we do not just wait around until that happens, till either we die or Jesus comes back. God has given us a job to do right now. As believers, we are called to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. We are called to be good citizens and neighbors, to contribute to society and the greater good of our communities. We are called to teach our children about God and Jesus' sacrifice for them. We are called to make disciples of all nations and prepare ourselves and others for his return. There are things that obviously we are supposed to be doing on this earth right here and now. But C.S. Lewis says this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Yikes. Here again, this paradox. The Savior, Jesus, our prime example of this. And that's this, that 
the Son of God, Jesus in the flesh, the creator and sustainer of all things, was born in a manger with animals. And later on, he was crucified on the cross. And even Pilate said in John 18, 38, I find no guilt in him. But as it turns out, the Jews got their wish. Jesus received the death penalty for what he had done, what they thought he had done. But as another author puts it so well, it says this, it is through being defeated by earthly powers that Jesus conquered the spiritual forces of evil and set up his kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom where leaders are servants, neighbors and enemies are loved and poor widows give away half their money. Under the lordship of King Jesus, humility is exalted. The first shall be last. Offenders are forgiven 70 times seven and ethnic outsiders kneel down to help half dead strangers in a ditch. The way of Jesus is countercultural. It is upside down and inside out, a kingdom where weakness is power, power is weakness, and suffering leads to glory. Do you know this, Jesus? Have you repented of your sins and asked Jesus to lead your life, become your Lord and Savior? The kingdoms of this world are fleeting, but the kingdom of God will last forever. Don't wait until it's too late. But for us believers, just as John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ's first coming, we are forerunners of Christ's second coming, a kingdom that will be fully realized one day. It's an upside-down kingdom. This doesn't make sense with the way the world works today. But that's exactly the point. It doesn't have to make sense to the world. I want to close today with a question and a story. The question first is this, do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? A few years ago, we uh, had a luncheon for Randy Mattia. Randy had served here for many years in different capacities, and we wanted to honor him by having this luncheon as he was stepping down from kind of that formal service. But he served as a deacon for 25 years and as the financial secretary here for 36 years. And at this luncheon, we We sat and talked and ate, and then we gave Randy a chance to kind of share his heart for why he wanted to serve. And he said early on in his days of serving, he one day looked at himself in the mirror and he said this to himself, do you want to be somebody? Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then serve like Jesus did. Man, and that's always stuck with me. So that question is this, that final point. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then serve like Jesus did. The things of this earth, they're fleeting. Do you want to just be remembered for a few years here? Do you want to be known for eternity in heaven? Earthly kingdoms are temporary, but God's kingdom is eternal. God, thank you so much today for this opportunity to meet together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, where we find your truth. Lord, there's so much confusion in the world today and we don't know who to trust, Lord, but we know that we can trust you. We know that we can trust your word. Lord, even though this kingdom of earth is fleeting, it's finite, it's temporary, God, it's not our home. Lord, we believe that one day we will spend eternity with you. God, so I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that don't have a relationship with you, that they would take care of that first thing. 
Lord, if there's anyone else today that's burdened by what's going on in the world or dealing with something bigger than themselves personally, Lord, I pray that they would come forward and be prayed for. We want to support them in that way. But Lord, we thank you for this time to worship you through prayer and song. We thank you for this time together to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.